Welcome to the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, hosted by veterinarians Dr. Lewis Kirkham and Dr. Robbie Anderton, who'll give you the inside scoop on the secret lives of your pets and have a lighthearted look at the latest animal news, health tips, and other random facts. All names of people and pets have been changed for confidentiality, so if the story sounds familiar, don't flatter yourself. Every owner is just as animal crazy as you are. So sit down, place your furry feathered or scaly best friend on your lap, and it's over to Lewis and Robbie. Hello and welcome, listeners, to episode 16 of the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, where too much talking to pets is barely enough. I'm Dr. Robbie Hander, and I'm joined this week, as I am every week, but by a man who's been doing some really great community work. Now, he didn't want me to say anything about this, listeners, but I really, really just wanted to say about just how special this guy is. Can you imagine being someone who goes down playing a ukulele and handing out muffins and cookies to people that have been lining up at the COVID testing uh, facilities for five to six hours? That man is Dr. Lewis Kirkham. Lewis, you're a, you're a community star. How are you going, mate? <laughs> I'll tell you what, mate. Those people are going through enough pain. They don't need me <laughs> down there strumming my ukulele while they're queuing in line. That's well, what would that. be your go-to ukulele t- tune, mate? Would you just be playing the Rich and Theme song over and over and over again? That would be torture. Well, I've got a, I've got uh, it was one we were just playing before, wasn't there? Um, I'm just trying to just trying to find it. That one, got that one. Cat Empires, yeah. Cat Empires, hello, 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 well, hello, uh, hello, hello. We were talking about <laughs> that, they, weren't we? Did, didn't they used to, uh, you know, sell plants down in Caram Downs? Oh yes, Chris and Murray. Chris and Mari. Chris and Mari from your way. Aren't they from your way? Uh, yeah, yeah, they're down Caram Downs way. Yeah, they're down down in the down in the far southeastern suburbs. Now, how know? would how would that ad go these days though? I mean, for those listeners that don't know, Chris and Mari's uh, farm was a homemade ad for his uh, well for his deep rooted stock. If I can remember the, the terminology, bare rooted, bare rooted, thank bare you, bare rooted, yeah, yes, bare rooted yep. stock. And and he came out in a tutu, didn't he? Dancing around. Um, you know, just really, uh, just gang it up, I suppose. You know, just just hamming it up. Um, yeah. And also, it also get around uh, in the nude because they'd have the neighbours be gone. <laughs> yes. Oh, Chris, you're not wearing any clothes. I can do that, Mario. I can run around nude with these neighbours be gone. <laughs> oh, Chris, put on some clothes. That's right. That's right. How do we get on to Chris and Mari? Oh, from uh, the well, ukulele. You started, playing, you started playing a little bit of Cat Empire there, mate. You know, hello, you, and, hello. You, and you pulled out just before we had to pay him any money. <laughs> very good very well speaking of that the, what's number one what do you got to talk about today mate oh yeah yeah um so uh as, as a little bit of further speaking on of from out. last week's yep well i was going to say that and i thought no just in case she's uh <laughs> listening to the uh to, to this story given that we've spoken about it um so dan murphy's is trying to tell me to come and buy some beer on a friday night um they know they know they've got a captive market mate Captain, that's right. Um, so, uh, so we were speaking last week about um, Christina uh, wanting to be wanting it to be known that she um, was a, <laughs> uh, a a baker from way back. That she that she wasn't just a fly by night COVID um, baker. That she was a sourdough baker from way back. So I said that to her. I said, "Oh yeah, look." We've, You've been happy to know we've we've recorded the retraction. You know, um, you, you don't you don't you don't have to seek uh, you know uh, uh, nice guy Ron's uh, lawyers onto us uh, in order to uh, in order to get us to retract. We will retract. That's fine. Ron, um, she, she got a she got a phone number of Ron from the Cat Lover Show. Has she? 
Well, at least he, at least he's solicitor anyway. You know, he sees and desist solicitor. <laughs> so we are. Uh, so, so I said to her, "No, look, look, see, that's fine. We've got this sorted out. We told told everyone about how you're a, uh, you know, been a been a long time sourdough baker." But the problem, so Christina's been thinking about um, getting back on the tools, Lewis. So she's been thinking about trying to do a little bit of um, uh, house call stuff, like to the to the you know parents in the local wow. area. Um, but she um, she woke up in a fever dream the other night, Lewis, because uh, after talking about uh, about dogs and uh, and uh, and bread toxicity, she was dreaming that she was uh, seeing a dog or go, having to go out and see a dog that had bread toxicity, <laughs> but she couldn't remember what the antidote was. Oh. She couldn't remember what she got. And she's, she got, oh, I can't remember. can't remember what I need to treat the dog with. What's the antidote for bread toxicity? Oh, I can't remember. Oh, this is terrible. So, you know, so there you go, Christina. Apologies for the fact that I had to, uh, you know, give you, give you nightmares. Well, perhaps go back to episode 114. Just scroll through there in your dream. And at the end, we talk about uh, dough toxicity, don't we? Yes. Yeah. Dough toxicity. Yeah, exactly. Well, Perhaps if we talk a bit more about her banana bread making, then she'll have a dream about banana bread toxicity. Is that a thing? Yeah. Yeah, I'm so yeah, you, you, you get um, you get too much potassium, Lewis. I'm ah. just trying to think about how how to run with this without making it um, you know, you know, you know, you know bananas and toxicity and you know, Christmas <laughs> dreams Mari. and things like that, and Chris and Mari, you know, yes. tutus and having a dream, you know, running around in the nude. Well, you when you're just trying to keep it clean. When you said she's having a dream, I thought it was uh, as a, a more of a nightmare. Maybe maybe someone had come in the house without wearing socks again. Oh yes, uh, de- definitely. You know, socks or, or moccasins, something like that. Yeah. Uh, no, look, things things are going at the moment. The thing that's uh, producing the most amount of trouble on the uh, on the floors is the uh, is the cats. Yeah, you um, running that. around in. Oh, well, no, now they're doing the same. Like they Parker in particular is enjoying running around the shower recess. So the fact that there's no door on our shower, it's just a screen. So after we've had a shower, he walks in there and likes licking all the water yep. off the ground. But now he's going outside. So now he's just leaving all these little dirty footprints all uh, over the uh, all over the tiles as well. So that's driving us a little bit nuts. And the backyard's still dirt. So Rosie sees a possum and just churns through that backyard like a hot knife through butter and then and then comes in and wonders why I get a bit dirty on her when I need to try and clean her feet off. <laughs> get back here, whip it, you bloody uh, It's all fun and games, mate. All fun and games. This yeah. week, this week at work, I had a um, I had a cat come in for desexing, uh, and uh, and um, in the process, I was sort of looking back at the history, just checking it being all right and everything, and I noticed it actually had a few seizures, it'd been seizuring right. Really. So it was a, I think it was a twenty-four week old kitten, so fairly young sort of cat, standard age for desexing at our clinic, and I thought, well, yeah, I'm going to give this, and I think they've been left that about a month ago. Uh, one of my colleagues had seen and suggested going off to see a neurologist maybe to have it looked at and examined why were we having seizures at such a young age? Yeah. Was there an infectious cause to it? Was it, you know, an epilepsic thing, which is pretty uncommon in kittens, I think. Um, and so there's some discussion about that. And then it sort of stopped. So she hadn't been to us for a month. We got no report back from the the specialist. I wasn't sure where it at. So I thought, look, I'd better just ring the owner because, um, you know, as you and I know, but the listeners may not know, if you anaesthetize an animal that is prone to having seizures, mm. there is a much increased risk that they'll go into seizures while we anaesthetize them. So it lowers, lowers the seizure threshold. And so I sort of wanted to get a bit of an idea of where was this cat sitting? Was this a high-risk anaesthetic? What were we sort of doing? And and she actually um, said to me that no, we haven't had seizures for about haven't had a seizure for about three and a half weeks. We've actually diagnosed the cat as having Tom and Jerry syndrome. 
Tom and Jerry syndrome. Yeah. Wow. Now, wow. What's you, a Tom and? You've been no. A, this is new on me, mate. This is new. I mean, I've been I've been out of the had the nose out of the books for a while, Lewis. So, you know, uh, 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 inform me, mate. You know, but this is this is the thing I've been wanting to learn today. Well, Tom and Jerry syndrome. Well, would you believe this is the second Tom and Jerry syndrome that I reckon I've had in the last six months. And I've been meaning to bring it up in the podcast, but only really? now that I've had a second one that I thought it was worthy enough to to bring it on, bring it into into evidence, shall we say. So fantastic. Lay it on me. It's actually a condition and it's got a, a name feline audiogenic reflex seizures. Wow. Or FARS. Fars, fars without the T. Fars, fars. Yes, yeah, oh, that's good. Fars, yes. yeah, fars. fars. And I thought I thought you were going to say something else. Yeah, I, I knew you might. So yeah. it's um, it's been recently discovered in cats as a as a type of epilepsy in cats. Right. Um, it's uh. Particularly in high concentrations in the Port Melbourne area, it yeah. seems. Well, obviously, yeah, it was incredible. Uh, so this um. Um, it's, it's referring to a seizure brought on by a stimulus. Um, that's the reflex component. The audiogenic refers to the fact the stimulus is a sound. However, it's also been dubbed Tom and Jerry syndrome after the cartoon character, Tom, who has a strong start. And you you being an officiato of cartoons, mate, I'm sure you've got this picture in your head right now. Tom's the cat. Yes. Yep. Who has a strong start, strong startle reflex and often reacts with involuntary jerks to sounds. Oh yeah. When Jerry does something, yes. Yeah. I knew knew love this. I thought you'd know about this. Crikey. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm with you. Yeah. So this is uh, this is uh, what website am I on here? This is from International Cat Care. So it's a re- reputable website. Yeah. Um, how the condition develops in cats is unclear, although it's seen more commonly in older cats. Well, it wasn't in this case, and in certain breeds, Burmans, and this it was a Burman actually. This this little kitten, which is interesting, so, suggesting there may be an inherited component. The FARS, they did a study on it. The FARS found that typically they developed syndrome, the syndrome at around 15 years of age. Um, and yeah, yeah. So, so your, your one's about 14 and a half years early. Yes, I know. He's well ahead of his time. <laughs> <laughs> he's a Get clairvoy- his FARS in early. Yeah, yeah, he's a clairvoyant of the FARS, <laughs> of the FARS study. Um, Premature FARS. <laughs> Prepubescent FARS. Um, you can get a nasal spray for that, can't you? Oh, yeah. You, yeah, I think you can. Ugly, was it Ugly Dave Gray? Oh, yeah. Advertising it. Was, was that Ugly Dave Gray? Oh, if, there was, if there was any sponsors that we were going to get on the podcast, oh, I don't think that's one we'd be going for. No, 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 no. It wouldn't be high on our hit list. No. So anyway, around half the cats in the study were found to be deaf or partially deaf. So it's thought to be a hearing-related you know, component of it. Um, now, the triggers... Of the sound. Triggers, so yes. Essentially, when they hear sounds. What's going to set off a farce? Exactly. So this this kitten, that they'd worked out that when they, the clicking of the gas cooker, as you're firing it up, you know, the little spark that you get when you press yeah. the gas cooker, that would trigger it. And right. so that, and also the rustling of aluminium foil. Oh. Was the other one. Not, not as much. So what they'd learned to do is just put the cat out on the balcony when, they, yep. when, when she's going to cook dinner and then let it in once it all been lit up and it, it actually stopped the seizures from occurring. I thought it was amazing. Wow. And oh, can, this, I, can I, can 
yeah. can I throw something into that with with your one, right? Because so there's there's two things that you've got going on there. One, you've got a spark that's um that's occurring. So a spark is electrical charge running from one metal object to another. But you've also then got aluminium foil. So is this some sort of like a a changing of the electromagnetic field or something like that, Lewis? Well, you know, that might be triggering this cat's fires. Well, I suggested a tin hat for the cat. <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't suitable. I said, wasn't taken well. No, she told me it was Tom and Jerry syndrome. I suggested she put the tin hat on until I read up about it. <laughs> but interesting, you mentioned that because I thought the same thing too. But the second cat I saw maybe six months ago, the owner said to me, "I think my cat's got fars." And I quickly yes. googled it, googled in the concert room. It was a nice enough owner. I thought I've got no idea what you're talking about. And his cat. Apparently combs, you know combs, things you comb your hair with. Have you seen? Yes. Seen those? I, 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 how about you? Have you seen them? Yeah, not for about ten years or so. Ten years. <laughs> <laughs> so I have heard that they've got little, little like fingers on them or tines, like on a fork. Yes. And you know yep. you can flick those with your finger and make a little <laughs> like harp. Yeah. Like yes. And that triggered their cat. Really? Yeah. So wow, that's well, that could be electromagnetic, but it could be a static, I suppose. But could be not, static electricity, yeah. Not, not really in that case. But but other other things that triggers are the common ones are crinkling of tin foil, aluminium foil, which yeah, that that kitten had, a metal spoon clanging in a ceramic feeding bowl. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, chinking, chinking, or tapping of glass. Right, I'd say clinking probably. Clinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's American, American term. Maybe, maybe that cat was at a at a wedding uh, wedding reception, and it just got set off when everyone was like chinking the glasses, trying to get the uh, the bride and groom to 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 kiss. And all of a sudden, the cat just started the board the, the the ring suddenly just started seizuring. Everyone freaked out. Got ah, it's got fars. It's very meet the parents. I think that one, yes. Mister Tittles. Mister, no, is it Mister Tittles? No, Mister Tittles. No, I forgot his name. Yeah. Anyway, it'll come to us. So other things that do it, crinkling of paper or plastic bags, tapping on a computer keyboard or clicking of a mouse, clinking of coins or keys, hammering of a nail or clicking of an owner's tongue. So yeah, how about that, eh? And um, fars. And often they get three types. There's three different types of seizures. So you, so you get a generalized tonic clonic seizure which is yep. the full, full classic seizure on the side, paddling, chomping, chewing, foaming, you know, going to the toilet, um, that sort yep. of thing lasting the for The sort of tonic of one that you put in, sort of tonic one that you put with gin. Nice bit of lime. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Brilliant. Then there's the myoclonic, which only lasts for a fraction of a second, really, really short sort of seizures. And then you've got the absence seizures where they stare vacantly into space. Don't don't 98% of cats have that? <laughs> yes. Well, certainly it's one I've seen my kids have when they're when they're on TikTok and I ask them to take the bins out. I see that all the time. What? Huh? Sorry, Dad. Absence seizure. I've got bars. Were you crinkling the foil? Were you crinkling the plastic bag of the bin, Dad? I just had a little absence yeah. seizure there. They, did, they didn't tell you to get fars, did they? Uh, well, yeah. Well, they're, they're, they're staring off absent mindedly. Yeah, they're, they're probably getting. Not quite old enough there. Jinx. Jinx the cat. Jinx was the cat. Jinx. Yes. Not Mr. Tittles. And he no, milks it. That's a- and he milks Jinx. <laughs> so the treatment. There's lots of treatment. Well, not yeah. really. No, they, they all talk about, you know, using 
medications with the seizures and stuff. I guess that's just quite severe and you can't remove the auditory stimulus. But in yeah. this owner's case, the, um, um, yeah, the, they just didn't, didn't like the gas cooker when, when the cat was around. They put it outside. But interestingly, yeah. I then rang the owner the next day because, you know, we didn't have any seizures. Anesthetic went fine. Desexing went fine. No worries at all. But I rang the owner the next day and interestingly, they said it did have a seizure in the car on the way home. Right. So I'm not sure on what the trigger was there. Yeah, maybe maybe they were going past someone's barbecue and they were just firing the little spark plug in there. Maybe it could have been the spark plug in the car, Lewis, yes. yeah, as but- I was starting it off. Like, as you get to hear it through the engine, the spark plugs that were firing off, burning the fuel, just set the cat off. I did ask I did ask if they took the cat home in the under the bonnet of the car, possibly, right next to the spark plug. They said, no, they didn't. So, who knows? No. So, there you go, Fars. We learn something new every day. Fars, wow, and and that's the sort of thing that you um that keeps you on your toes, isn't it, Lewis? Yeah. You know, uh, in the in this profession, so every now and again somebody comes at you with a Fars case that you've never heard of. And yeah, you and go, you get complacent when you're our age. You just go Fars out, eh? Another one. Fars out. Just get the get the get get the old exercise book out and write it in the back page seventy three. Fars. Nice. Well, there you go. That that'll be a good one. I can I can dazzle the uh, dazzle the other vets at work here. Yeah. But that's the thing. That's the thing, Lewis. When you're as experienced as what we are, sometimes you can get a bit complacent. But uh, I had a uh, an interesting interaction with a client this week that um, made me, you know, it, it made me feel good, Lewis. You know, like it's been it's been quite a few years since I've had anyone uh, pay me this particular compliment. Right. Um, but uh, I had someone asking me this week, um, so how old are you? I said, <laughs> well, I'm I'm I'm, nearly, I'm I'm 41 and a half, and they go, no. I said, yeah, you don't look old enough to be a vet. Well, look, I'll be perfectly honest with you. People used to tell me that in my 30s, but now I'm in my 40s. That's uh, that's quite nice, you know. Um, I, mean, I don't know. They might have been angling for a, uh, a compliment discount on, or something like that, Lewis. I'm not sure. But, I was yeah. going to say that in the next breath, did they say, now, is there any chance of a senior's discount on the... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they, 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 um, it might have been the clicking in my pen that caused them to get, have a little bit of a quick, quick sort of fars like seizure, Lewis. It caused their eyes to lose focus and, you know, mate, just sort of get rid of the wrinkles. Right. Well, that's nice, mate. So they thought you were quite young. They thought I was young. Fantastic. That's quite, that's, that's quite, quite funny, you know. Like I used to get it all the time when I started here. It took me about two years before people realized that, hang on, I am actually old enough to, uh, to be here and old enough to be doing the job. But, uh, well, you know, it's been, it's been quite a while now. Well, you know, last week we were talking pretty boys and stuff. You have got the baby face, mate, the, the, uh, the Robbie baby face, eh? I haven't. I had shaved as well, so that was a, that, that. I think was part of it. Um, yeah, whenever I'm a, I, whenever I'm losing the whiskers, it just uh, you know, certainly drops a few years off me. And the nurse going, "Oh, it's fine. You know, it's so nice to get told. So yeah, you know, you'll be you'll be wishing people said that to you in a few years." I go, "Yeah, but I don't know." If, you know, when I was in my thirties, I'd believe it. When people tell me that in my forties, I think people are just trying to take the take the fars out of me. <laughs> no, I'm sure they're not, mate. Sure they're not. Sure they're not. <laughs> All right. Anyway, now hey. big big thank you to Zilkeen, um, it's a, uh, sponsor, one of the sponsors of our podcast. Uh, thank you very much for your support. Zilkeen is a mild anxiety lowering uh, medication supplement that you can can get over the counter. You don't need to come to us for it, um, but you always can. 
Yeah, it'd be good to come and talk to your vet about whether your animal needs it and whether there's uh, it can be part of a uh, a full behaviour modification training program to try and help desensitisation. But it's a pretty good one to start with. Exactly, exactly. So if you you think your dog is anxious or dog or cat is anxious in a certain situation, mildly anxious, uh, certainly something you can give. It's very palatable. You could put on your food, on their food or or your own food, I suppose. But probably you want to feed to the feed it to your pet <laughs> yeah. for the for their anxieties. And yes. also, we've got, uh, speaking of food, we've got Delicate Care, the Australian-made food. Um, fantastic product. Um, had a, had a, a dog this week that, uh, it's a young dog that's got, um, I had sort of, uh, we came to us for a second opinion and it's, um, um, it's got some issues with uh, vomiting you know, over a few days or so and sort of poos that go up and down, a little bit diarrhea-y. Um, and I was sort of, you know, the owner was, oh, I want some medication. I want to run some tests. I want to do all this or that. I said, look, take this food. Don't only feed it the delicate care, skin and stomach, and let's talk in three weeks and see how we go. So, you know, it's perfect for those suspicious of food intolerance sort of cases. Um, a bit like that dog there. I'm pretty certain that dog's going to be just fine on a novel protein um, like the, uh, the the skin and stomach. So thank you very and much for your support, guys. And it's certainly a realistic way of trying to um, trying to manage those cases too. Like we, I know we've spoken about it before because I, I'd say to people, yeah, I can do fecal tests on yeah. your dog and, and I can spend, you know, a couple of hundred dollars of your money and I can probably predict what it's going to come up saying and then we're going to say to do this anyway, or we could go and do some uh, endoscopic biopsies and then possibly have to do the food trial. Do you want to do the food trial first? You know, why not? Let's give it a shot with that. And then if it's not getting better, then we'll go and start spending some of your money, but you got to feed it anyway. So why not go for a novel protein diet? I think it's a, a good valid way of trying to, uh, trying to manage it. Yeah, you know, we're doing this podcast for two years, mate, and I, I really feel like you were just in the consult with me because that's exactly what I said. <laughs> It's like a mind melding, Lewis, you know, like we're, you know, we're um, becoming like an old couple, you know, we, we know we're going to be able to finish each other's sentences. Well, an old couple with one of us that looks young. Looks young. Obviously. That's right. Yeah. No, yeah. Young enough you know. not to be a vet. Oh, that's right. You know, I wonder what I could be if I wasn't a vet. Vegas dancer would be good. You know, I've often. Yeah. Uh, look, I don't want to do upset jazz you, hands. I don't, I don't no? want to upset you, you know. I've always thought I'd, I'd have the thighs to be a speed skater, but I've just no good on the ice. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Perhaps when we get Christina on, on to when she's advertising a new house call business, we can talk about your thighs at that stage. Do you think? Ha- house call and sourdough. <laughs> Maybe that's what you're going to Veterinary services. Sourdough veterinary services. You're going to get in trouble, mate. Very careful. No, that's you're, all right. It's fine. You're going to call it sourdough vet services, sourdough mobile yes. vet services. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know that it's um, you know that it's good and it's wholesome. You know, and there's a there's a I don't know how else I can try and try and you know and, and curb it in, but you know it, it's a, it's valid. I'll put it on the list. How about that? Fantastic. We'll, Great. Or we'll, we'll, if Patreon we'll supporters, if yes. they had any any ideas on some names, then uh, then get on you know get on Patreon and give us some ideas of some names for. Christina's new mobile vet business, something to do with sourdough, maybe banana bread, something, something, something wholesome. So something, something about, you know, how, how poor she is that she, you know, poor Christina that she has to put up with me, something like that. You know? <laughs> oh mate, no way. No way. Those thighs, uh, she loves those mate. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's, it's, great. it's, a, it's, it's all the, um, all the, all the squats that I do Lewis, you know, just, right. just working, you know, we're working, working on the legs, you know, right. Every, every day is a leg day for me, Lewis. 
Very good. All right. So thank you to our Patreon supporters. And yes, go to patreon.com and search for Two Vets Talk Pets. All righty. And, mate, what do you got in the news this week? So I was um, uh, having a little bit of a search for stories and um, actually came up with a really, uh, really sad one this week. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so um, this is from uh, the, uh, the, the CBC, um, the, the Canadian um, uh, Broadcasting Commission, I guess oh. ver- our version of the ABC. I thought you were going to say um, the Christian Brothers uh, College. It certainly could be. That might be a subsidiary of it. Oh. Um, but uh, uh, officials probed the arrival of 500 puppies, 38 of them dead, aboard a flight from the Ukraine. Ooh. So, and this is something that uh, was sort of completely took me by surprise because this doesn't really happen for us here in Australia because we've got some, you know, pretty stringent uh, 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 importing, uh, you know, quarantining rules for um, uh, for animals flying into this country. So we don't really get uh, any issues from uh, people trying to ship in animals en masse. But um, this was a, uh, a Canadian's taste for, so this, this is reading out because this is from um, David Seglins and Carly Thomas. Um, Canadian's taste for exotic breeds fueling global black markets, say animal welfare uh, advocates. So um, uh, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency is investigating um, after the gruesome discovery of dozens of dead and dying dogs aboard a recent flight from the Ukraine. The CFIA confirms that a Ukrainian International Airlines flight arrived at Toronto's Pearson International Airport from Kiev last Saturday with approximately 500 French bulldog puppies on board. Dozens of them dead and dozens more dehydrated and seriously ill. Wow. Just uh, this is horrific. You know, uh, upon inspection, it was found that 38 were dead on arrival. A spokesperson wrote in a statement. CFIA officials are currently investigating the circumstances surrounding this incident and will determine the next steps once the investigation is complete. Abby Lorenzen, a professional show dog handler who happened to be at the cargo area of the Toronto airport to pick up a different animal, described the scene as a horror show. Oh, yeah. It was just a nightmare, Lorenzen told CBC News. Canada and the federal government need to change the laws on the importation of these puppies, she said. Uh, at the air, uh, videos show stacks of puppy crates. At the airport in Kiev, witnesses at the loading area became suspicious last Saturday and recorded video of what appears to be men loading stacks of animals, uh, animal crates filled with puppies bound for Toronto. The video is now circulating social media, but the airline won't discuss why it allowed more than 500 animals on one flight. Um, Ukrainian International Airlines declined to answer questions from CBC News, but released a short statement on Friday. Everyone at IUA offers its condolences for the tragic loss of animal life on our flight, the company said via social media. UIA is working with local authorities to determine what happened and to make any changes necessary to prevent such situations from occurring again. I'll give them a little hint about what was happened. Someone was getting really freaking greedy and didn't really care about how freaking abhorrent this was. So what's that? What do you say? Five hundred animals on a plane. Five hundred French bulldog puppies, Lewis. Oh, Five hundred. That's so hideous. Is that true? Is that have we got? That just sounds unbelievably, oh, just beyond belief. Five hundred animals. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Loaded in in dog carriers and crates and being sent via a um an international airline into, surely, into Canada. Surely not. I, that is how does that even get that's just I'm speechless, mate. Don't know what yeah. to think about. That sounds just uh whew. yeah, wow. Um, uh, 
I would love yeah, to officials, think. I'd hope it was fake news. I really do. That just sounds, wow, yeah. 500 on a plane. Um, uh, officials in the U.S. have turned away flights and have documented numerous cases of mass imports by covert groups using faked papers and forged vaccination records to circumvent import restrictions. Wow. Um, oh, the CFIA terrible. insists Canada has rigorous standards for animal imports in order to protect Canadian animals from the introduction of serious animal diseases. All import requirements must be met before an animal is imported. However, the Public Health Agency of Canada is studying the current federal regulations out of concern for diseases spread by exotic pet imports, says Professor Scott Weiss of the University of Guelph. We really have no idea what scope, what the scope of the issue is. We have no idea how many dogs come in, where they go, or where they come from. Um, he then goes Ugh. on to say about how online ads on um, uh, Kijiji or Craigslist, which I guess are like the um, the North American versions of, you know, um, trading post and and trading post. Yeah, um, you know, it's a big industry. There's no doubt about it, and has been looked at more in the US. And there's potentially some organised crime component of it too in some areas. There are lucrative situations where you can buy large numbers of dogs fairly cheaply. You mentioned 500 French bulldogs. If those are going at sale for $3,000 to $4,000 a dog, that's a mm. massive amount of money. That's a lot so, of money. So hopefully it is false. But, I mean, the CBC is not a – it's not a small yeah. organization. And, wow. you know, some of the people that they've got commenting on this are not, you know, like they're – Wow. Yeah, you know, they're, they're – so that's – you know, that is that's insane. So, that's that's um, incredible. We th you think about it with us, we you can't even put a, a French bulldog on a plane nowadays without a vet signing off on one dog being fit. To fly into state, let exactly. alone internationally. Exactly, and yeah. yeah, you can't can't even bring a even if you're a, a top celebrity who's appeared in many movies yes. over the years. Yep. Some of them about yep. pirates and things. Pirates. You can't yes. even yep. bring your two dogs in. Bistol and Poo. No, hang on. What were their names? Yeah, yeah, no, it was. No, it wasn't. No. It was um, uh, we, Boo we, and. Um, we don't want to mention their names, do we? No, 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 no. That'd be there. Might, You'll have to beat that out. They might really have to sue us then. Yeah. We might really get sued. <laughs> his, his lawyers are probably going to have more money than Ron's as well. Yeah, I think so. But I think it's pretty no, well known, yeah, that a well known celebrity tried to bring their dogs in into Australia. Or did bring. Yeah, it's, did, did bring in yes. and hid, hid them in hid them in the plane, and yeah. it was only when um the uh the uh the, the their groomer posted pictures online right. of um yeah yeah so that was how it got out. Uh -huh. So so they've posted pictures online of these dogs going oh hey look I've just I've just groomed these dogs, <laughs> and then someone's gone. Pretty sure those dogs didn't go through quarantine, yeah. and they didn't. Yeah. yeah, wow. So you can't even do that in Australia. You can land five hundred dogs. On a tarmac in in Canada, that's incredible. Where were you, mate? Yeah, uh, yeah. Where? So, gee whiz. So, so be be careful of where you um where you uh, get your dogs from. You know, I mean that like that's just you know puppy farming to a yeah. you know a, an unbelievable scale to be thinking that you can then ship them in internationally. Um, my goodness, you know. Yeah, well, so that, that that was sort of looking. I got she. I usually we try and take the uh, you know keep things lighthearted here, but I thought you know what that's probably something that uh, you know is is worthwhile. If you're gonna if you're gonna go and get a pet, go and talk to the uh, go and meet the parents. So at least in that way, you know that they've been bred in the same country as where you're at. Also gives you a good idea of what the the um, behavior of the parents is going to be yeah. um, and try and try and stop this stuff from happening. But geez, I really hope they change the laws over there because that is abhorrent. Yeah. Horrendous. Absolutely horrendous, mate. Yep.
Yep, yeah. definitely. Uh, look, I'll, I'm going to move on a little bit yes. into uh, there's some holidays coming up for our friends in Canada and in America. Canada Day, Canada Day on the 1st of July yeah. and US Independence Day on the 4th of July. Big, big fireworks days for our Ooh, yes. for our overseas listeners. So what I just want to give a little bit of a warning to everybody that if your dog is afraid of fireworks, afraid of the bangs and the booms, now is the time that you need to go to your vet. You need to go to your vet. No point going on the, you know, the 30th of June or the 3rd of July and saying, hey, or hey, the 4th uh, of July at five o'clock. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Going, hang on, my dog's a bit scared of folks. Now's the time you need to go. You need to get down to your vet now, talk to them. They will recommend, hopefully with such short notice, some, some medication that is going yep. to help your dog with the anxieties. Um, they might recommend Zilkeen. Big, uh, you know, really yeah. good for those mild Quite anxieties, possible. and you need to start it now. Um, but it, yeah, it's it's really important that, that that you need some anti-anxiety medication to to have in your firework uh, sort of prep, preparation kit. Um, you know, there's lots of different medications we have available now. There's you know we've talked about them before. There's the trazodone, gabapentin, alprazolam, clonidine, and then in over in the states, there's a, a product called Silio that that's good as well. They all work fairly quickly. Really good for dogs with with anxiety to, to those booms and the bangs. If your vet gives you the ACE Promazine or the ACP, do not use that. We try and avoid that. Just causes mm-hmm. sedation. Doesn't help with anxiety at all and has the potential to make them worse. So if you have got the ACE Promazine, get anti vet now and say, hey, I don't want this one. I want one of the other ones that uh, Lewis and Robbie recommend. Give me something else. Exactly. Lay some good stuff yeah. on me. Yeah, none, none of this, you know, poultry, because that's what we used to use. Like, that's what, we, you know, in the black and white days, you used to give it because it made the owners feel better because the dogs didn't do anything. But now we know so much more about how um, how we do it. You know, it's um, it's just, yeah, yeah it's, uh, yeah, witchcraft now. Spot on, mate. Well, the, the ace primers then just it scrambles their brain. So the messages are just getting scrambled and it's actually making them worse. So, no, definitely don't use the, what's called ACP or ace promazine. Um, if you if you're wondering what it is, check it up on Google and have a look. Have you got Ace Promazine for your pet? Because we don't yes. want to use that. So so get down to your vet, say to them, it's a perfect time to talk to them. Say, hey guys, can I have something for my dog or cat for for what's coming up in the next in the next few days? Also, yeah, not not the brain scrambling one. No, exactly. Spot on, mate. <laughs> All righty, what else uh, you got? So um, there's also been a little bit um, going on here in Australia with a, um, a, a an emerging uh, zoonotic or what was previously thought to be a zoonotic, uh, sorry, not zoonotic, a, um, an exotic disease here in uh, here in Australia. Yep. But what, but one that you know you may remember that I diagnosed once on a dog here, um, you know, in in, in you know, little old Mount Waverley, but it, it was a dog that got shipped in from Southeast Asia. Right. Um, what is it? Northern. So it's um ehrlichiosis, right? Uh, yes. So a tick tick-borne um uh, disease. So this is from um the ABC News. Um, yes. Uh, uh, on the the new Northern Territory Country Hour by John Daly, uh, Northern Territory vets suspect exotic tick-borne dog disease has gone undetected for years. Oh wow! Oh yeah. So it's, um so it's... a little bit. It's all through Asia, isn't it? I think all through Asia and is it in America as well? 
I think I'm pretty sure it is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, absolutely. But we'd always thought that it wasn't, uh, wasn't present here in Australia. Yeah. Um, yep. but, um, yeah, apart, unless it was in, in dogs that have been, um, that have been transported in. Yes. Um, so, uh, so an exotic disease potentially fatal to dogs has recently been confirmed in Northern Australia for the first time with multiple cases reported in the Northern Territory and Western Australia's Kimberley and Pilbara regions. However, some Northern Territory veterinarians suspect the disease may have avoided detection and circulated in the state's ticks and dogs for years. Wow. So we're talking about ehrlichiosis is a, a, the tick-borne illness caused by the bacterium Ehrlichia canis, which occurs worldwide and is most common in tropical and subtropical regions. Symptoms in infected dogs include fever, lethargy, enlarged lymph nodes, loss of appetite and weight loss. And in left untreated, ehrlichiosis can be fatal. So a lot of this isn't really going to be news to our uh, American listeners because they have a, a myriad of tick-borne diseases, a lot of which all cause fairly sort of similar signs. Um, so what we mean by tick-borne diseases, these are, um, are infections that are spread by ticks. So if you've got high tick areas, so you get ticks that, uh, that feed off affected dogs and then go and spread them to other unaffected dogs and uh, yeah, it can spread, uh, can spread quite quickly. Um, and then cause, you know, quite, uh, it can be often quite sort of nebulous clinical signs, you know, quite vague clinical signs. But uh, it generally, you know, and been tested for previously in Australia, but now suddenly, uh, yeah, it's out and around. Wow. Um, no Northern Territory's Chief Veterinary Officer, Sue Fitzpatrick, said cases of ehrlichiosis were also confirmed in five dogs. Um, oh, sorry, yes. Yeah, so uh, uh, Australia's first domestic outbreak was found in dogs in the Western Australia towns of Halls Creek and Cunanara in May. And further cases have been described in Western Australia's West Kimberley and Pilbara regions. Northern Territory Chief Veterinary Officer, Sue Fitzpatrick, said cases of ehrlichiosis were also confirmed in five dogs from the Northern Territory town of Catherine and a remote community west of Alice Springs last week. Dr. Fitzpatrick said the prevalence of the disease was difficult to determine because its symptoms were similar to other well-established tick-borne diseases such as anaplasmosis and babesiosis. Right. So there's probably been dogs that have been showing similar clinical signs but they just haven't been testing for it. Yeah, okay. Is it is it a particular type of tick that's restricted to those hotter areas, the WA and the Pilbara and all those sorts of Northern Territory? Am I really testing you there, mate? Probably are a little bit. I, yeah, I don't look, know. Not, not, yeah, not be... to my knowledge. I think it's just a typical old old brown dog tick. You know, I think it's oh, um, right. yeah, ripocephalus caninus. I think might be the yeah. uh, your, your standard dog bush tick um you know because it's not like uh any of i don't think it's a specific tick that does it i mean we've always known that we've got the ticks here that can spread it but we just didn't think that we had the bacterium that would cause it yeah right yeah okay but so why is it why is it why is it likely to come down to the northern to the southern states reckon or what's the, what's the deal well, yeah, I guess it's a it's a good question. Yeah, I mean, it's a it'd be a possibility. I mean, if you were then bringing dogs down from the Northern Territory down into uh, or, or Western Australia, rural those rural areas, I guess it stands to reason that if they happen to come down with a tick on them, that that tick could infect other dogs. Um, uh, Dr. Fitzpatrick said the disease may have gone undetected for a long time. Some vets believe they've seen symptoms like this in Northern Territory dogs for a number of years. One such vet is Peter Trembath, owner of Catherine Vet Care Centre, who believes he has been treating ehrlichiosis in Northern Territory dogs as far back as the 1990s. Oh, wow. Mr. Trembath has previously worked as a vet in Zimbabwe where ehrlichiosis is endemic. 
One of the issues with ehrlichiosis is hyperspleenism, and we take an inordinate number of spleens out of dogs, he said. Wow. Also, unexplained bleeding post-operatively of dogs. So, as you, so say you do a routine castration and the animal bleeds a lot despite compression and other treatments. It has probably flown, just flown under the radar. The disease is maintained by a cycle of transmission between ticks and dogs and cannot be passed from infected dogs to humans or other dogs. So in 2001, a survey of 316 domestic dogs from Townsville, Cairns, Darwin, Kununurra and Broome found no presence of ehrlichiosis. Dr. Fitzpatrick said similar surveys as recent as 18 months ago also found no evidence of ehrlichiosis in the sample dog populations. So I guess there's a fair bit to unpack there. You know, first off, if, if vets are thinking that they've been treating a, uh, an exotic disease kind of mm. falls on the vets to be reporting it. Yeah, you know, well, that's yeah, well, one of the jobs that we've got. If you say you've been seen since 1990, what's that? 30, 30 odd years. Is that 30 yeah. odd years? Yeah. It's yeah. uh you probably should, Yeah, you're right. You probably should have mentioned it at some stage. Should so have been that, testing for it. Should have been testing for it. Maybe you mentioned the higher authorities possibly at some yeah. stage. I mean, if we don't know. You're taking, no, no. And, I, and I'm not, you know, doubting because I mean, this guy, he's, he's worked in, in Zimbabwe where there's obviously a lot more of it. Yeah. But um, if, if you think you're taking out an exorbitant number of spleens, we vets are on the forefront of, uh, of exotic yeah. diseases and zoonotic diseases. So we need to be, uh, you know, if, if you think you're seeing something that lays uh, outside of the realms of what should be normal, you probably need to be getting into touch to someone. Um, and, seems, you know, yep. It seems really odd that a vet would would admit to the fact that they're thinking they've been seeing it for 30 years and haven't done anything about it. Very weird. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, the reasons for thinking that they may not have been testing for it, that they go on here in the article, is, um, is the financial cost of testing. So the fact that it costs money in order to do the tests. But uh, I know when we were trying to diagnose it here in the, in the dog that we saw, um, there was no cost to the, to yeah. the owner. It was, all, it was all footed by the, by the local government. Because yeah, it's um, exotic disease, uh, yeah, the government will step in and, and you'd think pay for all the testing. Well, that's mm-hmm. the that's the whole reason for why we've got uh, you know d- disease surveillance things. So then that way, if you're thinking you're seeing something, it's not you're not having to say to Mrs. Brown, oh, "Look, sorry, Mrs. Brown, I think your dog's got ehrlichiosis. This is going to cost you four hundred dollars to yeah. to do the test." It's for the good of the community. Would you like to do it? No, you you it's yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna ring up uh yeah you know, ring ring up my local uh Department of Primary Industries and Fisheries or whoever's a Department of Ag and say. Hey, look! I think I've got this. Are you guys going to put the bill for the test? And they'll say, uh, "Absolutely, we you, will." You think they would? You think they would? Did they name the vet that said that? Not What's the that? the the vet that said they've been seeing for thirty years. Did they mention they, who it was? They, they, yeah. they did actually. Yes. put his yeah, name yeah. on it. Yeah, wow, that's uh, really and, interesting. Um, and he he even sent a photo of himself in as well. Oh. You know, so look, looking here, it's got a picture of him, and it says, um, you know, the the so Peter Trembath believes he has treated Northern Territory dogs for ehrlichiosis for decades. And the photo supplied is from Peter Trembath. So he sent his own, his own photo in there. So, and, and tell me, um, is, he, is he looking young? Is he looking too young to be, even be a vet, mate, at, you know, 1990s? 
No, he, he he looks like he's um he's he's experienced a lot more in life than what I have. Right. So, yeah. but which which you would do if you came from Zimbabwe and worked in the Northern Territory. So um yeah here here I am a you know a a, a nice you know moisturised skin small animal vet from the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne. So I'm not going to go cast in dispersions of you know a, a Northern Territory vet. Yeah, they they work they work a lot harder than what I do, Lewis. So he's, he's um, definitely the coal face, isn't he? Yes, my word. Oh, out absolutely. In those rem- remote communities, that that sort of thing. That's that's some hard work there definitely so so certainly one of the big things to do to try and protect your dog from this would be um, making sure it's on tick protection too so yeah if you've got dogs that are on tick protection then it's unlikely your dogs are going to pick up the ticks and therefore unlikely to pick up the ehrlichiosis so um so it's probably a good idea to think about uh if you're in those I mean, gee whiz, if you're in Darwin or you're in, um, you know, you're, you're in a, Catherine, a, a, yep. a Cat, yeah, Catherine, Alice Springs, yep. um, or I mean, realistically, even Perth, because it probably might be people coming down from those remote areas, mm. bringing their animals down. Uh, I'd be making sure I got my dogs on some pretty heartily good tick protection and keeping an eye out for ticks and any signs of, uh, of, of weirdness, lethargy and large lymph nodes and things like that. I'd be, I'd be running some tests and I imagine the Western Australian government will be uh, coming down on this pretty hard, doing some pretty big surveys on animals trying to work out. Um, is there a, a, an outbreak in this endemically in their, um, in their dog population? And and tell me in in the, um, in the, the last week or so, when you've been doing extensive research into Lichiosis and uh, yes, and the the spread and the 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 the, uh, the species of tick that causes it and the the bacteria and the the treatment options. Do the regular preventative products that we can buy over the shelf at your vet clinic do they treat the tick that carries the lichiosis, Robbie? That is a million they, dollar question. They, are they registered for it? Did you want to hold hold, hold on for a second? I'll go and grab one of the boxes. Hang on. <laughs> oh, he's gone, and and we've officially Just pad for a sec, mate. I'll, I'll cut this out. I am I am doing my best to pad, and he's off. He's off. We'll, we'll, we'll give him a bit of time to see if he can come back and and let us know. Look, I'm, I'm pretty certain that the, probably the major tick brands of stuff would would cover uh, the the standard sort of ticks that you'd get on dogs that that would cause a lichiosis. But um, I, I'm pretty right. sure also that. That he's back now. I'm pretty sure on the label it's not going to say that it treats well, lichiosis. Well, so so for one uh, for one of the other uh, the tick treatments that yes. that we've got here well that may known. or may not do do flea flea treatment as well. Um, that it's um it's for the treatment and control of paralysis tick for um for four months. Treatment and control of the brown dog tick ripocephalus sanguinis for two months. And treatment and control of the bush tick, Hemophilus longicornis, right. for two months. What about, so, the, what about the lone star tick, mate? I don't know. What's the lone star tick? The, uh, uh, Is that the one you, that... In your research, the main carrier of relichiosis overseas, the lone star tick. Is that, is that on the box there? Well, well, no, because this is an Australian box, so it's not going to say anything about whether or not it treats a tick that doesn't exist in Australia, Lewis. Well, does it exist um, in Australia? How do we know? There's so many unanswered questions, Robbie. You need to deep dive this and get back to us. Well, I'm pretty sure that those are all going to be the main ticks. You know, I mean, if it ticks, if it if it treats those ticks, why won't it treat others, Lewis? Surely. I don't know. I don't know. That's a really good question. But if yeah, it's, it's not on the question. label, does it work? That's a really good question. What is the recommendation? Should you be tick treating your pet? We'll get back to that. What say we take a oh, break? Why? Yes. You can go and research that. And after Absolutely. the break. I'm gonna hit gonna hit the book straight away. After the break, we'll come back and talk about something else. 
Hey, Robbie, I'd love to give a shout-out to our friends at PetSure for their awesome free webinar series. Yeah, man, I heard about those. Aren't they called Pause and Learn, as in (laughs) P-A-W-S? I see what you did there. Oh, mate, there's nothing like a good acronym. It got your attention. (laughs) It certainly did, mate. But seriously, the PetSure webinars cover some amazing topics, though. They sure do. There's one on COVID-19 and pets, very topical, and essential viewing for all concerned pet parents in this COVID-19 world. Indeed, mate, and for vets as well. Oh, you're absolutely right. There's also another one called Setting Up Your New Pet for Success. And here's one that's really important, Helping Pets Avoid Separation Anxiety. That'd be right in your wheelhouse, wouldn't it? Oh, mate, love that. Anything on behaviour, that's absolute gold. Oh, mate, it's all gold, gold, gold for pet sure here. And you know they're presented by Pet Shores Chief Vet Dr. Danny Hulhan, friend of the podcast, and also they have a range of other pet experts for each topic, so you know you're getting the good stuff. Oh, mate, that sounds great. So to learn more about these webinars or to register, visit petsure.com.au slash webinars. Registration is free, but spots are limited, and since we've just registered, two less. So make sure you secure your spot today. Oh, T's and C's apply. Visit petsure.com.au for more information. All right, Lewis. Well, after that break, you've sent me to the library. You've sent me to go and do the, do my deep dive research because I thought I knew what I was talking about. And it turns out that I ham-fistedly knew what I was talking about. You're, um, yeah, you loan StarTick, right? So that's yes. in the States, right? right? So so you can shove your loan StarTick up your bum because right. that's it, that's in the States. But if you are listening in America, maybe have a talk to your, to your local because there are different ticks in different areas that have different, uh, you know, that sort of live in different spots. Here in Australia, yes, it is spread by the brown dog tick, the Rhipocephalus sanguinis that we were talking about before. Of course, we, um, of course, you're right, mate. Spot on. Bang! You know, you 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 have little fight. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so you know, I guess the thing is, yeah, you know, maybe we need to have a talk at some stage about what to do if your dog's got a tick, like how to remove the tick from a dog. You know, Great that idea, should be. Mate. Uh, that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, maybe we can cover that next week. We'll keep everyone uh, keep everyone in suspenders until good. next week on that one. <laughs> good idea. And look, given that we've just had a little bit of a correction ourselves, and uh, or you've corrected me with my my errands at ways, it might be a good time just to get onto the disclaimer. What do you reckon? Uh, why not? Yes, let me pull that up because that's not on the. Um, our disclaimer isn't on the Western Australian Department of Primary Industries and Regional <laughs> Development website. On, I'll, be, that, I'll be perfectly honest what, with you. Is that the library you went to? Hang on a second. Yeah, well, absolutely. Google. Yeah. yeah, Google. <laughs> well, Google then sent me there. You know? um, all advice on this show is general in nature, so please consult your veterinarian before following advice for your pet. We do our best to provide the most up-to-date information or at least going and looking at the Western Australian Department of Primary Industries <laughs> website. But as veterinary medicine is continually advancing and changing, please let us know if we missed anything or if you think we need to do more research. Um now, this is something that I have researched, Lewis, so you yes! can set this up your bum for the next one, right? Excellent. So, um, is it, so is it sourdough recipes? Yeah, absolutely, yes. yes. Yeah, if, any, if anyone would like Christina to send you a sample of her starter, um, you'll be interested to find this out, Lewis. We've actually decided – so when you're making sourdough, right, you need to throw out 90% of your starter every time, right? And so you feed your starter. But when you're throwing out your starter, there was always seemed sad that you're throwing out all this stuff. But Christina's now come across a recipe that she can make sourdough crackers as well. So she's not just making sourdough bread. She's now making sourdough crackers as well. You heard it first on Two Vets Top Pets. 
Yes. Maybe maybe that could two be two vets talk two vets talk sourdough. What about that's an oddie for the uh for the for the the new business crackers crackers mobile vet <laughs> sourdough crackers sour, sour crackers sour cra- crackers crackers the Crackin mobile vet sour. yeah <laughs> Christina's crackers mobile vet <laughs> sour Christina's this crackers is, mobile vet this is fantastic she's gonna this love it great. when she hears this and I'm gonna jot all this down christina you've got to listen to this it's Hi, about christina. it's at about the 58 minute mark because we we waffled on a little bit about brown <laughs> a little dog bit ticks a little and, bit and and, and lone lone star you know lone star ticks you know there we go lone star stick exists people it's not a figment of the imagination you can google it and it's got a little white spot on its back there you go wonder how they got the name for it lewis anyway Stages of wound healing, Lewis. I wanted to talk to you about stages of wound healing because I've had uh, a couple of interesting cases over the last couple of weeks of dogs that we've had to heal up wounds uh, via what's called secondary intention. Right. Didn't just the Lone Star tick, wasn't that from the, the cowboy? He got, he got infected and he's like, oh, what's that? That's the Lone Star tick. Or was that a restaurant? Yeah. Uh, well, it was a Lone Star. It, it was a restaurant as well, yes. as a, as well as a cowboy. Did you want to tell the listeners where he found the tick, what it was attached to? Uh, his earlobe. Yeah, yes. It was his earlobe yes. in the end, was it? Yes, it was. Yeah, yes. it must have migrated from yeah. where it initially attached. <laughs> right, you know, that's what that's that's what happens when you're a cowboy and, you're, and there's no there's no toilet facilities nearby. You you try and try and lean down in a bush and suddenly it you know can attach onto because yeah they they like finding thin thin areas of the skin, Lewis, like an earlobe. Right. Yes. Okay. Dangly bits. Right. I'm with you. Like an earlobe. Yeah. I'm thinking, is that in the song? No, that's the rhinestone cowboy, isn't it? All right, we digress. <laughs> like a rhinestone cowboy. A Danny. All right. Wound Who healing. sits, squats on a bush. And get... <laughs> no, stage the wound healing. Okay. Right, hey. So We've gone off track. And we're out of time. Thanks very much, hey, listeners. Thank you very much. You know, if you'd like to support this, then, you know, <laughs> want to go to patreon.com. Look, there's some podcasts that go really well, and there's there's this one. There's some. Yeah, it's been it's been a long day. You know, I mean, you've got you've got a house full of tweens. Yes. You know, I've I've been I've been you know, juggling administer administerial issues all day. Yes. So you know, yeah, you know, some some are you know it's, this this is the coal face. Lewis. Anyway, stages of wound healing, take three. Um, so so we've had two dogs on the go at the moment that have had um, large uh, large wounds left over from where we've had to cut out cancers um, and there hasn't been enough skin left over to try and heal them up. So we've had to try and uh, rely on the body to try and heal over those wounds. And the, and the body's amazing in its ability of being able to heal up wounds. And I thought I'd um, just give everyone a bit of an idea, a bit of a look behind the curtain, Lewis. Let me know when you want to go for take four, mate. <laughs> Are we leaving this in? Oh, yeah, why not? The Lone Star Cowboy. Yeah. This is great. This is, this is terrific. Hey, just, just make sure you write like this one down for when we need to say what podcast we want the uh, the judges to listen to for <laughs> the Australian Podcast of the Year Awards for 2020. Because let's face it, 2020 has been a pretty weird year. We might have a crack at it this year, especially if we link this episode on. 
Yeah, I reckon, and I reckon Glenn Campbell's going to be chasing it for some royalties if I keep playing that too long. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, pull that one out, and also the hello, hello guys from Chris and Mari, and you know, and the Cat Empire. Cat Empire. Oh no. Yeah. All right. So take five stages of wound healing. What are you talking um, about? Stages of wound healing. Right. Mate. You know, have you, Se- ever, have you yep. ever tried to open it? Ever tried to heal a big wound? Uh, yes. Many yeah. done. Always. Often. Yeah. Right, yeah, but we need we need it takes it takes a while. Yes, and there's a reason why it takes a while, Lewis, because the body's developed some really um, really cool ways on how to try and heal. Um, and this is the same way as what even happens just with normal surgical wounds. It's just that when it's a normal surgical wound, it's only happening at a very very small level. But if you're trying to heal over a bigger hole, then this is uh, you know it takes a it takes a while longer for these things to happen. We had one uh, uh, towards the end of last year that um, was a dog that had a big tumor on the back of its forearm, and uh, and so it was a, like a Labrador sized dog and this dog literally only had like about a centimeter and a half of skin that was left over running down the front of its um the front of its forearm oh wow still managed to scar up and heal brilliantly really after after a couple of months yeah yeah it was it was insane how well this dog's uh wound healed up it was incredible wow so stages of wound healing so first off first stage is called traumatic inflammation lewis so it's all there in the title traumatic so there's been some sort of trauma that's either been lewis with his scalpel blade or me with me with me with my scissors you know and we've gone and left a big hole and the body says gee whiz we don't like trauma so we're going to cause some inflammation so what's inflammation inflammation is the signals that the body gives to say that something's not right we've got to start sending some cells in here to try and clear some things out and this is the same as what happens whether or not you've got an infection whether or not you've had um, an allergic reaction you know a burn anything like that just something's happened so your body gets um, gets inflamed so you have blood vessel dilation you get bleeding you know bleeding is where your blood vessels you know uh start to get leaky because the body says there's something that's not right here we need the stuff that's in the blood to get into the tissue to try and help to uh, try and help to heal it up um and that's when you then get a scab form so the scab's kind of like your your, your first protector, if you will, in order to try and sort of stop stuff from getting in and also to try and stop more stuff from getting out Good stuff, mate. Yeah, yeah. good. Um, stage two, and that and that happens within the first few hours. Stage two is destruction and debridement. So destruction is then when you're setting. So as your blood vessels have opened up and uh, the inflammatory mediators have kicked in, you get attraction of your white blood cells. White blood cells, main two types called neutrophils and macrophages. Your neutrophils are your pussy cells. So they're the ones that are coming in to try and help to produce enzymes to try and kill off bacteria and try and absorb bacteria and try and break down damaged tissue. And then your macrophages, they come in, they're your, they're your big cleanup guys. They're your, um, uh, your big mini skip guys. They're the guys that are going to come in and just chew up all of that damage, the damaged cells, the damaged tissue, chew up the bacteria, chew them up and spit them out back into the, into the body as, uh, as, as little protein bits. It's like, it's um, like the Pac-Man, isn't it? In that old eighties game, the Pac-Man coming along with the big open mouth and just chewing it all up, isn't it? 
just chomping it all up, absorbing it all in. The macrophages are amazing too. Like just yeah. how big they can get, like their ability of being able to absorb, you know, all sorts of stuff is amazing. Yep. So they're basically those, so I, I, they're, they're your cleanup crew. So they've gone in there to say, right, well, we've got dirty disease tissue. We need to get all that cleaned up because ain't nothing going to heal if there's any dirty stuff. So you've got to get your clean in crew. Once your cleanup crew's gone in there and cleaned it up, then that's when you go to stage three. So right. stage three is then proliferation and repair. Yeah, right. So, so once everything's cleaned up, then that's when your body says, "Okay, right, we've got a clean environment. Now we can start trying to do some, um, start trying to do some rebuilding." And so the first thing that starts to go in there are what's called fibroblasts. Fibroblasts are cells that produce connective tissue. So connective tissue is your scaffolding. That's your stuff that's going to be there for your basis for all your other things to grow across your skin, your blood vessels, all that sort of thing. But they need to, they get attracted into these environments because again of these mediators, uh, these inflammatory mediators that come in as part of the part of the healing process. Once it's then laid down all its collagen and proteins, and that's and so collagen is just a is just part of the that's your your fibrous tissue that goes in there, and it's all over the shop. It's all it's all higgledy piggledy. It's like when my kids are making Lego of their own design. It's like there's there's pieces of Lego everywhere, Lewis. You know, there's no there's no overall design to it. Yep. It's just throw down a whole lot of stuff wherever you can. Um, because then that's a low oxygen environment then that's when your body goes, oh, geez, we don't like no oxygen. We need some oxygen in there. We need capillaries. Right. So what happens is you start to get capillaries coming in. They start to push into that low oxygen environment because once you start getting your oxygen in there, then that's when all the other cells can come in to start to try and survive. So your skin cells and that sort of stuff. So first you've got to, you need inflammation. Then you need to, then you need to destroy stuff to clean it all up. Then you can start to rebuild. And once you're starting to rebuild, then you get what's called maturation. So maturation is when your body says, right, we've got nice, good, healthy tissue here. We can start to cover this over. So once you've got that nice, um, uh, that nice what we call granulation tissue that's formed over there. So that's all your, your connective tissue and your capillaries then your body can start to make that stronger. So rather than having your bits and pieces of, of tissue and fibroblasts and collagen going everywhere, the bits that aren't doing anything get chewed out and get replaced by things that are heading in the direction where you need it to be. So it's a really, really cool way that the body says, right, we need strength in this direction. So we're going to lay down our fibers in this direction. It all just does that through tensile strength. Um, the uh, then uh, and so once you've got that granulation tissue there, it's resistant to infection. That's a great little surface for your skin cells to start to grow over from the side. So the skin cells grow from the edge. They can't, you know, abseil in, you know, um, you know, D-Day landing yeah. style of you know jumping out of a jumping out of an aeroplane and landing in. They just got to come in from the sides. Yep. And the other thing is, there's also cells in there. And this is the coolest part of all. They're fibrocytes, but they act like muscle cells. So what that does, that's then how the wound contracts. Yeah, so right. what happens is you've got these wounds that are, um, uh, that are, uh, you've got cells coming in from the side, but the overall wound itself is contracting, contracting down as the body's trying to make it smaller. So it's pretty cool. So you've got these cells creeping in from the sides as well as the body closing it over. You've got your granulation tissue that's forming there that's got the great, um, the great blood supply in there. And eventually these wounds, they just contract, contract, contract and get smaller and smaller and smaller. 
Fantastic, mate. Really, really well described there. So, um, it's taken me back uh, uh, 20, 20 odd years when, when I did that at, at uni. Very, very succinct and very well described. I think the thing that rings true most for me is you talk about, you know, that cells don't come in like they're, they're jumping in on the D-Day beach and uh, parachuting in or, or whatever it is, but they, they come from the sides. And I think that's one thing that owners tend to not understand is that when you have an incision that we do surgery, whether it's a small incision for a cat spay or a large incision for, you know, abdominal, full abdominal sort of surgery, the healing time is essentially similar for the same size of wound only because healing occurs from side to side, not necessarily from end to end. So the cells don't have to come from one end and get all the way to the other end or halfway along until it's healed. It actually heals from side to side. So, um, so that's important when you're talking about wound healing. And, and, and you're exactly right because like all of that stuff there of wound healing, that is, that's the way that tissues heal, whether or not they're surgical scalpel wounds and you're putting the edges together or whether or not it's, you know, a big, you know, a, a big open wound on the back of a dog's leg. That's going to take you, you know, two months of bandage change. Yeah. That, that's what these ones are taking. You know, yes. like it's, you know, we're, I think we're, Four, four weeks in with one and um, and five weeks in with the other um, but the, they're, they're both you know probably a week away from being from being done you know Fantastic. which is probably two weeks further ahead than what I thought we were going to be so did you, take um, photo, did you take photos weekly photos oh yeah oh yeah I've got yeah. weekly photos on the go yeah what? yeah I, I didn't show the owners the first couple of week ones because they get a little bit scary when yes. you see the big massive open wounds yes. um, I, I tend to leave those ones until the wound is healing and so so this is what it looked like three weeks ago this is where we're at now so we are getting somewhere could we do a collage on the um, on the anchor FM page do you reckon on our, on our podcast page or is it a bit gruesome I mean, we, we could we could do it on its own um, on its own page and just say, hey, look, you know, here's um, you know, um, beware, you know, surgical images, and then I just got to get the owner's permission to to do it. But if they're cool for me to do it, yeah, I've got the the full um, you know, the 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 full the full streamer. Because the interesting thing is of the one that's um, one of the dogs ones, it was a um, a soft tissue sarcoma, so a uh, oh. a, a, a soft tissue tumor that was yep. on the on the front of the dog's leg, and so it took two centimeter margins around wow. and, and had to go deep in, and so I had to take a muscle layer out from inside as well. Wow! Um, and with putting the stitches in there, the wound um, the wound broke down initially, yep. and so I spoke to one of my mates who's a who's a specialist, and he was saying, "Oh, yeah, I look try, probably try and do a um what's called a bipedical flap." So what I had to do, I had to make a big cut on the back of the dog's thigh yep. so I could pull skin across to try and make the hole smaller. Yeah. So this dog had, oh, it was a, um, it was a 16 centimeter long wound on the, um, from top to bottom on the, cause it was a five centimeter wound that had opened up. So it had to go five centimeters above five centimeters yep. below. So by the time you've cut it, it's always going to be longer. Um, and in the end it was probably about, Oh, probably five centimeters wide by the yep. time I'd pulled the skin across. Wow. And it's just about healed. That's in, impressive, in the, mate. It, oh, it, it's, it's insane how well it's healed up. So I did want to make sure that it was healing before I bought it into, before I started talking about it on the <laughs> podcast. Was, I'll be honest with you. But um, yeah, no, they're both healing up really well. So I thought uh, I'd talk about stages of wound healing because I, I think it's actually really interesting. Yeah, fantastic, mate. No, really interesting, definitely. And um, be good be good if we could get those photos somehow, but we'll, we'll have a think about if we're tech savvy enough to to put them onto a, onto a page of some sort. But if you have got questions about wound healing, 
um, you got you got something for Robbie, you want to know a little bit more about it, then you can get onto us at twovetstalkpets at gmail.com. You can get us on Instagram. You can get us on uh, on uh, Facebook. Uh, you can find Robbie on House Party, um, myself on, on TikTok doing a, a dad dance probably. Um, but come say no good day out, mate. And also you can follow us on Patreon. We, we do really appreciate everyone's support on patreon.com. Uh, Let's go there, look for Two Vets Talk Pets, and for as little as two bucks a week, you can help us to uh, to keep paying our internet so that we get actually good reception like we did today. Yeah, perfect reception. It was um, good, wasn't and, it? Uh, and, and, if you, and if anybody does ask me a question, I promise I'll research it, you know. Uh, and <laughs> but, you know if got, but if you've got any questions about Lone Star ticks, you know, or where cowboys, you know, find ticks, so then send them to Lewis. That is his... Uh, personal uh you know, a, a personal area of interest when he's not playing the ukulele out at um covert testing sites that is t- typically my sourdough bread and butter mate that's for sure yeah yeah all your, all your sourdough crackers <laughs> yeah Alrighty, guys we'll scratch you later peace out Thanks for listening to Two Vets Talk Pets with Lewis and Robbie. To chat further about this week's episode or ask the guys any questions, search Two Vets Talk Pets on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or send an email to twovetstalkpets at gmail.com. You can find Lewis on Twitter with the handle at vetbehaviorist and more importantly, as the two pet heroes return to their day job of saving animals' lives, be sure to thank them with a five-star review on iTunes. Every time you do, a small, cute animal will receive a cuddle.